Welcome to another episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by two special guests, Jen and Bianca, to talk with us about how interviewing has changed in our new COVID remote world. Bianca and Jen, can you give brief introductions of who you are and what you do and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Hi, I'm Jen, a technical recruiter, uh, recruiting partner with the partner ecosystem team. My favorite happy hour beverage is um, I have a homemade CBD chai latte in front of me. So it's a blend of like ginger, black pepper, nutmeg, allspice, black tea, a little ashwagandha, and obviously CBD hemp. Nice. I think that's a first that someone's had a CBD drink on our uh, podcast. So well done. Bianca. Uh, I'm Bianca. I am one of the technical recruiters here at Netflix. I support client and user-based engineering with Jen and Ryan. Uh, and I only have water in front of me. This is so lame, but I still have some work to complete. But normally I would have a nice glass of red wine. Right on. Do you have a favorite red wine? No. No. <laughs> any wine will cut it. Yeah, any wine. Come on, it's COVID. Hey, that's fair. All right, well, let's also give introductions of today's panelists. Jem, I'll start it off. Jem Young, Senior Software Engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a Software Engineering Manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink, whether it's water, CBD, or I'm drinking beer today. Jem, I don't know what you're drinking, but uh, I'm assuming you'll be taking a drink along with us. What did we decide today's keyword is? Video. Video. All right. So if we say the word video, which I'm, I'm pretty sure we're going to say when we're talking remote, you'll all take a drink. So I'm curious to just start off. We've all done our share volume of interviews and recruiting efforts, all these different things that kind of go along with hiring people. What has changed now that we have been forced into COVID and being remote? Well, a lot has changed. All of us are working remotely uh, for one. Maybe not everyone, but at Netflix we are at least, um, which has introduced new uh, and different challenges in terms of interviewing. We do have to use video a lot more often now uh, in terms of interviewing cheers. and cheers. have to get really creative in terms of uh, how the candidate experience and um, time that it even takes uh, for candidates to interview. So a lot of things that are different. You don't get to meet your team in person anymore. You don't get to meet your manager in person. You don't get to onboard in person anymore, um, which is new. I would say there are different, um, there's a different level of expectation setting, um, both internally and externally in terms of um, what we're asking from candidates as well as what we're, we're asking panelists as well. Everyone's just facing different things at home, uh, in their lives. Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of things going on in like the cultural landscape. So a lot of it has been leaning into just the empathy and over communicating and having much more of a high touch as much as we can um, during this really challenging time. And I would say if anything, everyone's really kind of craving connection. So what does that look like during this time, especially while we're um, assessing candidates and, and vice versa? 
Yeah, I like to hear that there's, it sounds like there's a lot of flexibility too when you're thinking about those things, because when I think of interviewing or even just my job in general is like things are unpredictable, right? Like you know, my child could walk into the background while I'm interviewing and that could be really awkward. But I think as long as everyone understands that that's just a normal thing that we're right now, we're all stuck in our houses where we're not able to really manage those expectations as well as that we would be if I was coming into a company to interview. I would say with that also um, is there's, there's just a little bit more grace and patience. And I think I've appreciated getting a sense of a, a different dimension to people, even though it's, it's not part of how we would assess them, but um, sometimes there's humor involved and that's, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. I like that. Do you ever see some interesting backgrounds now you're like peeping into someone's house while you're interviewing them? Oh, for sure. Well, I definitely have had naked toddlers running around in the background and then people are just deeply apologetic and feel terrible, but it's hilarious and wonderful and it's a part of them. So, you know, there's no shame there, but it is, it is different and a change. I feel like that might be like an upside. <laughs> I'd be like, I'm going to remember that candidate because they had the naked child running in the yes. background. Yes, for sure. It definitely creates a new level of getting to know people, which is, um, I guess, one of the benefits of this time. That's fair. We kind of have to be a little bit comfortable with the intimate, uh, letting people in your house that you may not know just through the virtual video call. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Do you all feel that people are more their authentic selves remotely? or less? I think that topics that may not have come up, come up a little bit more organically. Um, You know, it's very rare that people will talk to me about their kids normally um, in a situation, but when you have your kids screaming in the background, or um, in my instance, my baby screaming in the background, it kind of opens a a level of um, conversation and camaraderie with you know different instances of your life that probably wouldn't have been present if you were interviewing not at home with whatever circumstances you're in and there's resonance right like if someone has a crying baby in the background there's something that someone can identify with because they have their own situations going on and i think there's like almost a safety blanket of sometimes being behind a screen that is really different than an in-person so in some ways walls do come down a little bit, but you know, it, it also, also comes back to the candidate too. I mean, you don't have to wear pants to an interview, right? Like nobody's going to know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just, totally. just dress up the top and you're good. You know, the rest of it doesn't matter so much. Yeah. The amount of days I've worn leggings. I don't even know the last time I put jeans on. When, when did we go into this? Like March? Like I have not worn jeans uh, since then. It's like I wear shorts every day. I'm like, well, what's the point in wearing pants? I don't know what's going to happen when it starts to get colder. I, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> well, it's uh, also so- San Francisco. You're still inside. So, I mean, the, the temperature variance might not be that big. It's not, not a huge one. That's true. <laughs> I think you both have mentioned some challenges, or at least I heard like it's different absolutely heard that from each of you on the interviewing side but what's been the biggest challenge like I know you mentioned it takes longer 
But are there other large challenges that you've had to maybe pivot on how you interview? I think one of it is just acclimating to different tools and uh, really being very focused about the signals we're looking for, right? So different cues that you would pick up in person, um, really leaning into communication during this time. How does that different over a video chat um, versus uh, someone in person and being very, very focused on that. Um, and tools have, have been a challenge as well. I can, I can say for our teams, um, really setting people up for success as much as possible, having people play with them, giving feedback, as well as having um, candidates also use tools prior to the actual interviews themselves, um, and also provide feedback on, on how, how the, you know, the tools are working and if they feel they feel good or not. Yeah. And especially for engineers, um, you know, you're typically engineering interviews have a whiteboarding session um, where you're coding on a whiteboard or you're building out architecture and you can't exactly do that same thing over a video or Zoom. Cheers. Cheers. So that's another, I think from a candidate perspective, something that you have to think about of how you will interview and do some, solve some of these problems in a different way. Um, Jen mentioned we're using different tools. I'm sure other companies are using the same ones like Jamboard or something similar. Um, but preparing for that is different than preparing for a whiteboarding exercise. So it kind of does take more prep and making sure you understand how the tool works prior to jumping on that call. And then the other thing I think for candidates who are interviewing, and we've talked about this a little bit, is just the fatigue of being on Zoom. It's a little bit different than the fatigue of being in person. And there's just that added layer of complexity to being on a video all day and interviewing versus being in person and kind of feeling that energy of being in the same room as somebody, or you might not be that type of person who eats off of that energy, but, um, there is something different about being in person and kind of having that connection versus Zoom, Zoom or video that is hard. Cheers. Cheers. Man, I'm racking this up. Afternoon, it's great. I, you both make interesting points. I, I brought this up in a, a small team meeting we had the other day about some of the challenges of working remotely. And these are people that I've met in person. You know, we've been on the same team for many years now. And there's still challenges that come up with uh, team cohesion, things like that. And I, a lot of that I chalked up to the fact that we all spend, I don't know how old everybody is, but all to say three decades of living, understanding like the human condition and minor body language and subtle cues and nuances and things like that that are completely lost over video chat. So it's kind of like losing one of your senses when you have to go meet new people and make a good impression, but it's all completely through like this one channel and we lose like everything else. So I've <laughs> talked to people who are interviewing and they said it's just extremely challenging because you can't tell how you're doing. You can't get that like, oh yeah, they're nodding. So I must be doing something well or they're like, oh, they're kind of looking down. So I might be doing poorly. Let me adjust like my, my tone or my cadence or something like that. And like, you just lose all that knowledge and helpfulness. And it's just solely depend on how well the person is paying attention to you. And they might not even be paying attention to you. They might be checking their phone. They might be, uh, oh, this person's rattling on some whiteboard problem. Let me just check what's going on on Slack or something like that. And like, I don't know, uh, I'm on, I'm secondary on call this week, but like there could have been a huge outage in the middle of an interview. And I'm like, and, I, <laughs> and, I, and I, I'm looking at my screen looking concerned and the person's like, oh no. And 
as a interviewer, I have to be respectful of that and just stay focused. But I know not everybody, like I'll, I know Netflix has the best interviews, obviously, but I, I know not every company has that same opportunity to have that focus. So I, what, what's the story? Like, I sorry, that was a long rant up to this question. What do you feel the general story for remote interviewing is at maybe smaller companies? Do you have a, a sense on that pulse? Is it easier because they're more flexible or is it more difficult because they may have more things going on? You, you all have the pulse of the, of the yeah. valley. Like, you know, I'm just I, an engineer. I have no <laughs> idea what's, what's happening outside my bubble. I think it's a mix. Um, I feel fortunate uh, that I feel like we probably have more resources and tools um, around trying to, uh, you know, navigate this new landscape of remote hiring and interviewing. For smaller organizations, I believe they're doing things very similarly, but probably maybe a, a little so a little more scrappily by nature, but also they have different things to struggle with based on um, the climate of what's happening, the stability of things. Um, so things might just take a different tone. Some companies I've heard are slowed down completely on interviewing and hiring altogether because of a lot of these challenges that are coming up. Not just the the technical challenge and everything, but also just the the current state of things and nature of, is our business going to survive this? And they might have to slow down on hiring. Yeah, I think it's a really challenging time right now for a lot of companies, especially the smaller ones. I, I love that you brought up the body language part though. I think that one is a tough one, no matter what is like, I even think it just in meetings in general, but like your eye contact is so important. I don't know if you all are actually like looking into my eyes or you're like looking off into some other portion of the screen. Those signals are, you're, you just miss like all the time. And that's really, really difficult. I'm actually very aware in meetings, even not just like I'm very hyper-conscious of it. And we've given interview training specifically around this time so that we can communicate to interviewers that your attention is that much more important during this time. Um, because I have noticed when I've spoken to people and their eyeball slightly moves to the left or the right, or there's a different reflection of light. Like I know something's popping up on their screen or they're like typing and they're like, uh-huh, and they're reacting, but I know that they're typing because I've done it before. So... <laughs> <laughs> So it's those types of things that we've had to reinforce to especially our interviewers when we think about candidate experience um, and really being empathetic about being present and, and, you know, just being there in the moment. Yeah, because to Jem's point is like normally if you're an engineer and you are on call, you're in an interview, you're not getting alerted. Like you don't see that. But when you're on your screen, that Slack message pops up, that like email pops up, all those alerts can distract you and absolutely throw off the person on the other end who's just trying to answer your question. And, and if you're not really giving it your full attention, that can throw someone off. And it really only takes one time for that to happen to just throw the whole interview off. Another one that I'm curious to hear, I know like I've definitely spent time talking with Jem and Bianca about this. Jen, you and I talked about events a while ago, but I'm curious like events are a big portion where you not only get to network with people, you get to meet potential people hiring, you get to meet each other. How are you all thinking about events, conferences, all those things that we are now do not really have? I know there's remote conferences, but you miss that networking portion. Like, how are you all dealing with that, especially from a recruiting standpoint? It's hard. Yeah. I think one of the trickiest parts of this whole thing is what the goal is from an event. So right now we could host a large event, but you miss the networking portion most likely. 
or we could host a small event. Um, but you know, you risk people not wanting to show up because again, people are fatigued from being, well, working all day in general, but also being on video conferencing all day. So joining another event, networking over video conference is difficult. I'm seriously, I'm like the person (laughs) using the word. (laughs) So I think we're not the only ones dealing with that. I, you know, we've seen events in general, just decline. Most of them are large scale events that don't have as much opportunity for networking, or they just have kind of the chat that goes off, but it's not as much of an opportunity to connect with people. I would add on the other end of that, you know, people, you know, humans as very social creatures, this is an incredibly challenging time for us to be so you know, limited in in the specific parameters that we're in. Um, So people are really craving connection at this time. So we can't forget that, um, you know, during this climate, even though it's like Zooms and whatnot, there's also potentially just a lower barrier of entry of reaching out to people just to have a a casual conversation. And um, I've known of other people just doing like social distance walks, or maybe it is like a virtual Zoom coffee chat to just talk about whatever it is, not necessarily a role or anything. And I think it's kind of a, a really ripe opportunity to, to be able to connect uh, versus other times where people are just really, really busy um, and they haven't been as necessarily optim- upper new- opportunistic than maybe some are now. I do agree with you that there is a lower bar to entry in some ways. Oftentimes, I'll think about it from a perspective of I like to meet other engineers and hear what they're working on. Uh, Maybe I am hiring, but a lot of times I'm not. It could just be like, eventually I'm going to have to be hiring for a certain role. So it's always good to talk with various people that are out there. And oftentimes, uh, like if if they're in the Bay Area, I'm always like, well, let's grab coffee. Let's meet up in San Francisco, come to the Netflix office. And that always takes a little bit of coordination tax. It's always great to meet in person, but there's a lot of like, well, what works for you? There's a travel time. There's like, we got to meet which location. There's all this back and forth, but it's so much easier to say, hey, do you have 30 minutes like this week? And sure, that works. And you can just jump on a video call so much easier. Cheers. Cheers. But uh, so that has been a little bit easier. In early March, I actually had quite a few coffees set up for some like no I don't always have coffees set up but for some reason I had quite a few of them that it was just like we kept pushing them we're like well we were told not to be in so, like we shouldn't be meeting up so let's push it out maybe a month and it's just like now it's like let's just jump on a video because we're we should not be meeting up it's like this is going on long enough yeah I think the one-on-one connection is a lot easier Um, I know we're still working through on our side, like the larger events, but I totally agree. The barrier for the one-on-one or maybe even smaller group connection is lower. And the cultural norms have shifted, right? Maybe what used to be imposing might actually be more welcome, like a welcome invitation to just connect during this time. Um, And I think part of that is also encouraging uh, our leaders and teams, also whoever ends up connecting to be really um, thoughtful about, you know, the stories and the narrative around um, our work life. People are, are genuinely very interested in how companies are perceiving their workforce. How do we view mental health during this time? Um, and how do we think about our teams and how we care for our teams um, has come up. I think it's kind totally. of cool too, is it's a unique situation 
that we're all dealing with, right? Like there's rarely times where you all are dealing with the same thing in life. And you brought it up and it's funny. I think during this whole crisis, there are many reasons to be positive. There's a lot of negative and that's really easy to fall into that, but focusing on the positive is a bit more difficult. And Jen, you actually brought up a positive point, which is it's easier to, to connect with people that previously would have been harder to connect with just because we all know where we're at right now. We're all at home <laughs> in front of our computers all day. So have you, have you found that universally be true? As in like, it's just easier to reach candidates from uh, different backgrounds or just different companies that historically would have been a little trickier to line up a call just because of various reasons. Um, I have found that to be true uh, with the specific business that I'm working on. Um, I'm sure Bianca can kind of um, speak to that side, but yeah, it, it has been easier to connect. It's still challenging though, because I think a lot of companies are thinking the same thing, right? Um, and so a lot of that, it is still a pretty competitive landscape. And then there's um, the conversation around remote hiring and uh, the opportunities around that. How are people thinking about where they want to be located, especially when the situation is indefinite? Um, but you'll always have those people who are just don't want don't want to be connecting, which is totally fine. But um, we have noticed people being a little bit more receptive to reach out. I think right now in particular is such a great time to network, even if you are not looking for a new role. Um, as a lot of people have mentioned so far, just the connection point of being on equal um, ground in terms of, you know, we're all dealing with different things, but we're all dealing with the same thing at the same time um, is just a great place to start. And you never know like what's going to come out of those connection points. And I think people are starting, especially because of this, Jen, you mentioned this crave for more connection because we're so socially distanced. Um, I think people have been a little bit more open to some of those networking opportunities uh, to learn more. And even if it's for the future, a lot of people are saying right now, this isn't the right time, which completely understandable um but it does open the door for the future and you never know like when that door is gonna swing wide open for the right timing to be which i imagine companies should be very very wary of that um you know with everyone working from home it allows more flexibility for people to take opportunistic calls not because they're looking but because why not i'm a little bit more in control of my schedule i'm working from home want to do just a half an hour chat with someone I don't really know, but would love to get to know them and just understand their story, even though I have no interest in leaving where I am. Um, it's probably just keeps companies on their toes a little in terms of how they're thinking about retention. That's a valid point because it is, there is a lower barrier to entry. You're not trying to find duck out into like some meeting room to take a call or like, oh, I can't, can't make that meeting because I have some, some appointment or I always joke when people dress fancy and they come to the office yeah. and then they're like, I have an appointment later this afternoon. You're like, oh, are you interviewing? It's like, you know, it's, but you, you don't have to worry about all those little details. Uh, it's a little bit easier to actually take those calls, which is kind of really good for the candidate experience. Yeah, I guess counter to all that experience is like me personally, I, I genuinely try to explore my options like once a year, a few times a year. I, I think that's wise if you're, I don't the think only that's wise, Jim. Of course you don't. <laughs> Just kidding. You can hire me back. Uh, I mean, you are, you are the only person that cares the most about your career. So I, I do think it's wise to always keep your options open. However, I found personally, I am 
less bullish on exploring new opportunities now, just because there's a lot of uncertainty. So in in certain times, you cling to what you know. Not saying Netflix is a terrible place to work. It's a terrible place to work. (laughs) No, uh, I just like don't care to put in the effort. Whereas previously, I'm like, yeah, you know, I'll interview. I'm not interested in leaving, but I'll interview for my own sake. And now that is not the case. I'm like, I'm good. Have you found that to be true? Are people exploring more or do they seem, especially people from the larger tech companies, do they seem less inclined to to leave? I have not seen any change, like level wise, I haven't seen a change. It's been pretty similar to previous years. I think actually more people are responding to me telling me that they are not interested versus in the years or the timing's not right versus in years past, they probably would have just ignored the request. Mm -hmm. So that is a a little bit different, at least from the roles that I've worked on. Um, But I've been surprised to see how many people are willing to explore a new opportunity because I fall into that same camp, Jim, of like, I have no desire to put in the effort to apply, have conversations. I'm really happy in my role. I love my job. Um, So I think it just depends. I think the people who would have explored this year regardless are still exploring and the people who might have explored this year um, are maybe staying put a little bit more because of everything that you mentioned, stability, they know what they know, people, not a lot of people are obviously wanting to um, onboard remote and meet everybody remotely necessarily. Some people do, but not everybody. That's fair. I think like for me, I probably taken less calls. I'm still open to talking to people who potentially might be interested to come to work at Netflix, but for my own situation, I'm like, I just don't have the energy, like even jumping on for, you know, like I've had friends, like let's grab a happy hour or things like that. I'm burnt out. Like I don't, I'm like, you know what my break is? Is like, I don't want to be on another video call. Cheers. Cheers. So like a big thing, uh, especially when you're someone with some levels of experience is things you care about would be the culture of a particular company or organization that you're trying to join. And given that we can't as candidates, like we can't visit offices and meet the team and shake hands and like, you know, all those other like cultural modalities that we count on for getting a sense of what this company is and what it represents. For the hires that you do make, how do we follow up or how does Netflix follow up? And just to ensure that like they're meshing with the culture and it's everything that you said it was and that it still messed with them. Like things that we wouldn't historically have to put so much effort into, but now we should just to make sure they're, they're fitting in with the culture and the culture fits in with them. Yeah. Um, onboarding has been a huge, um, a huge kind of undertaking for us, which I feel like we've made a lot of, of progress on. Um, Cause when you think about the experience itself, right, it's about bonding managing emotions day to day when you're dealing, especially with remote work and people wanting to feel connected and invested to new teams and new companies. Um, so it's been challenging. And so a lot of that has been, um, having to navigate around the creativity of really having the, you know, more one-on-ones, um, also more just like random either Zoom dinners or things or ways to kind of create connection opportunities to the teams 
Um, and uh, I know that hiring managers are having, you know, daily one-on-ones check-ins just to see how they're feeling and doing. There have been candidates who have actually had the opportunity to go to the office themselves just to get a feel um, because they are open technically. Um, but it's a little bit different just so they can get a, some signal and feel of, about the environment um, that could be. Uh, but otherwise, a lot of it has been incredibly high touch, and we always get feedback based on like, how can this be better? How can this be improved? Um, but they're they're pretty aware of, of the challenges of the situation, and uh, we're doing the best that we can to to make it feel as personal as possible to make them feel welcomed. And you mentioned investment. Like, how do you how do you ensure that? Because to me, that would be extremely difficult joining a new company and to feel invested in the company when you haven't seen the office, you haven't met anybody. You're now just essentially doing the same job you're doing before, but for in a different code base, essentially for engineers. Yeah, I mean, I think investment is pretty multifaceted, right? A lot of that is understanding who's on your team, um, who are going to be your partners, um, who's your manager, who are the cross-functional partners, understanding the business, what are you going to be working on, what are the different problems, like just being patient and having grace with yourself in terms of knowing that this is going to take some time to ramp up on and even more so um, to to just allow for time to absorb it all versus feeling like from day one you're going to need to build all these things to feel invested in a company right um, so oftentimes the investment comes from like progressive over time understanding and familiarity and a lot of that is is understanding like who you're working with um, as well as the business itself. And, and that takes time naturally, let alone virtually when you're when you're onboarding remotely. I, I totally agree with everything that Jen said, but with Netflix in particular, I don't think you, many people would join Netflix because of our buildings, just to be completely honest. They're awesome. They are really I mean, great. I'm a fan of the buildings. <laughs> they They're are. very nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, say, I'm not trying to bash on that, but we don't operate similar to a lot of the other big tech companies that were often, you know, we don't have the Apple campus. We don't have the Facebook campus. We have a beautiful campus that's functional and it's well-designed obviously, but most people join Netflix because of our culture. And that's something I think that's very specific to Netflix, but um, we have so many touch points and opportunities throughout the interview process to really showcase that culture and get people bought into the culture. And I think that's really our selling point in particular, and every company is going to have a different selling point. I would hope that culture is a big selling point for the majority of people. So if you can get people excited about the environment, the culture that they're walking into, um, I think that that makes them pretty invested from the start, even though you're right, like they're not going to get to see the building. They're not going to get to see where they sit. You know, obviously you guys have a great uh, view of <laughs> um, our campus, but those are some of the other ways that I think we can make up during this remote time and any company really can make up is finding those things that are really special to them that would make somebody excited outside of being the environment, the working environment, because no one's going to be able to provide that right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the culture aspect because I think that naturally, especially in the Netflix culture, it naturally shifted. So it's like, this is a little bit weird for all of us. We're very uh, transparent and talking through those things and it, it demonstrates in when you're interviewing, but then even like I've had to onboard an engineer on my team early, early into this COVID world uh, where he was fully remote and it was awkward. Like I felt like this is really hard. I feel like I wasn't doing a good enough job as a leader, but a lot of what started to play out was like our culture came through in the sense that like, this is how things work. And 
it just naturally kind of showed up in uh, how the onboarding worked or how the day-to-day worked. And, and I think that to me was really helpful to see that it just naturally happened. Like I was stressed out about it personally, but on the other end, it played out really well. And like the engineer on my team constantly said he felt like things were going really well. He was onboarded well. Whereas in my case, I was worried that, no, we don't do a good job because we've never done this. But a lot of those things started to play out and a lot of it because of the culture kind of. I think especially with our onboarding, I remember I onboarded not that long ago, last November. Um, and I, I remember feeling like this could easily be done remotely. And it's not about the physicality or attachment to the, you know, the location necessarily. And of course, meeting my peers and colleagues and everything was really important. Um, but everything that I needed to do my work was um, could easily have been done just except for like sending me my laptop. But otherwise, it was a really seamless process with instructions and the series and everything. So Oh, it's gotten better. I, I've been at Netflix for over five years. It was not not as nicely planned out. So we've, we've evolved, which is good. I think that's the thing is even in this remote world, I think back to an engineer that started early on my team. Uh, if an engineer starts on my team tomorrow, that is going to be even better because we asked for feedback. We learned like what works, what doesn't. There's even been times this week that I've heard of some engineers that have started where because there's a lot of fires going on in California, their laptops were delayed. So that's a challenge. You're like, great, you started today. You know what the first session is? We set up your laptop that you don't have. Like those types of things. And and we just pivot and try and figure that out as we go. It's it's a challenge, but uh, it it has definitely been interesting. One of the things that I think is super important right now, if you're interviewing or looking for a company, is thinking through what that company can provide you, obviously, during this time. But the flexibility point about culture, I think, is just monumental for folks to consider as they're applying to or thinking about changing companies um, because that's kind of a make it or break it right now. And if companies can adapt to the current environment and, you know, flex in new ways and evolve, as we've talked about, um, I think that that's a really great sign of a healthy company in this time. But if it's very rigid still or isn't able to have those inflection points, then I don't know, it might not be something that would be interesting to pursue. Bianca, how would you suggest as, you know, I'm an engineer applying to company X, how do I assess that they've, they're doing that? Like, how do I actually evaluate that? It's a good question. Uh, There might be signals on the careers page or their jobs page that they talk through how they're managing or handling COVID. They might have videos, they might have blogs, or they might even have suggestions about what their interview process looks like. Sometimes it might just take talking to a recruiter to find that out or manager who reaches out to you. Um, I don't think that there's one right way to do that, but I think that it's an important question to broach with any conversation that you have at this point to find out what companies are doing to be flexible, to be supportive, to be empathetic to situations, because you might find that the new company that you're looking at actually is more supportive than your current company or more flexible. And that might even be a bigger sell for you to consider a new move. How should engineers think differently about applying for roles? We, we talked about interviewing, but obviously networking, we've talked about that. But even if I'm approaching a new role, how should I be thinking about it differently than in the normal, I just go to a jobs page and apply? Is there things that we should be thinking about differently as applying for remote roles? I think what we look for remains the same in terms of what 
what is something different or what is unique um, about your story, about your experience, about your perspective that will contribute to our teams? Um, and especially this is a very unique time to be really evaluating uh, and reflecting on what you want your story to be. We often get flooded with resumes or people who, who say they can just, the baseline is doing the job, right? And like, or the technical skills, if you're a software engineer. Um, but what is different about the way that you approach problems or your, you know, the, you know, your story or, or the experiences you've had before that will be that much more compelling than the next resume that has exactly the same languages and the same companies listed um, that will help you to stand out. And so it's, I think, really important to take that time and really figure out that narrative versus just like impulsively or reactively just apply just to get a job. Because mm -hmm. that's I totally agree, Jen. I actually saw an applicant today. I have not seen this in so long and I probably said on the last podcast not to do this, but <laughs> I saw a cover letter and I have not seen a cover letter in ages and I read it and it was so interesting. And I, um, I think if you really want a role, that's something that you should consider because I, as a recruiter, I don't see cover letters anymore. So something to consider to differentiate yourself potentially. Come back to our partner ecosystem. I see plenty <laughs> of cover letters. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. I can't remember the last time I've seen a cover letter. Jed, I love your point. I wish we had met before because you're just making so many points that I'm agreeing with today. I love just what you said about the Netflix cultures. The baseline is the ability to do the job. I think people miss that. I think for any company, it's just like, yeah, if you made it into the interview in the interviewing round, we know you can do the job. Now we're just assessing like how much above and beyond you will make our company and team better if we hire you. I get a lot of reach outs on LinkedIn and Twitter and people say like, oh, how can I stand out? How can I make myself representative of myself for these companies? That point of being able to stand out and say like, here's what I bring in addition to being able to do the job. Is, is a really powerful point. Yeah, and I think I usually appreciate when people have done their research on, hey, I've read all of these engineering blogs, or there was this one thing that really stuck out to me about the way that they're approaching this problem. I'm kind of curious about X, Y, Z, and it really kind of just embeds them in part of the conversation and the way that our teams are working. So what perspective can you bring to the table that be really different versus I love Netflix. Uh, my reason for wanting to work here is that I'm a Netflix user and my whole family loves Netflix, which is pretty much a majority of many answers that we get. Which is also a majority of people are, I mean, a In lot general. of people watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So before we get into picks, I'm really interested to hear now someone's interviewing uh, like, or they've kind of got past a few calls. They've spoken with the manager, the recruiting team, and they're kind of coming on their quote unquote on site, which is not really a thing right now. What advice do you give to prepare? Is there, is it the same type of advice to prepare for the interview or is there nuance into the sense that it's now remote? I think there's obviously the tactical advice that we mentioned earlier of like play around with the tools, make sure that your internet's working and okay. Those types of things. Inter internet a, is so key. Like internet's really like, key. if it is choppy, like I've definitely had conversations with people and it's choppy. It's hard. I'm like, I, how am I supposed to evaluate this? Yeah, totally. I know my husband and I have to text each other to get off video because <laughs> sometimes I'm like frozen. 
But on the actual preparation for how to show up, I think, you know, right now, everyone, we've talked about this multiple times, but everyone wants more authenticity and showing up your complete self and being vulnerable in that way. And it's okay, you know, if your kids are running in the background sometimes, and it's okay if you're not in a fully private space, if you can't be. I think for the most part, the companies that you want to join are going to understand that and be supportive of those ways, areas of your life. And the companies that aren't as supportive, like maybe that's a a sign for you that it's not going to be a great fit. But I think the more that you, you know, show up authentic, that really is coming through in video. And I think we've mentioned this multiple times throughout this session. And then obviously there's the other things of like, read more about the company. Like Jen just mentioned, like understand like how you might insert yourself into this role or what you might bring to this role. One of my favorite questions I ask people is now that you've learned about, learned the team, met the team, like, what do you think you're going to bring? And it's like your opportunity to really brag on yourself and and understand what you will bring to the table. We want to see that on our end. Um, and I'm assuming other companies would too. I feel like the remote format also is like indexes higher even more so. And I mentioned this earlier on the communication aspects of things. There are less cues and signals for teams to really get a sense for how you are in person. So really be able to um, convey and communicate and articulate your ideas is even more key during this time, even though it's behind, you know, a screen um, and, you know, measuring just adaptability as well as, you know, in some of our interviews, problem solving is really important and we use these tools, but how are you able to kind of communicate what you would be like to work with on a day-to-day um, that would leave our team really excited and impressed over, over Zoom? I think it's sometimes an excuse that like, well, it's a VC interview, so I can only do so well, but in some ways we've also seen incredible interviews during this time and incredible creativity and curiosity. So definitely leaning into that and and don't be afraid to ask questions and it's nothing is, is strange or weird. And I think people are usually still a little bit timid during this time to, to ask more clarification for things. One thing to always remember is you are interviewing the company as much as they are interviewing you. And if it doesn't come across that way, then again, maybe that's a a signal for you to consider. I love all that. Those are such good pieces of advice. Each episode of the Front End Happier podcast, we'd love to choose picks that we'd like to share with you all that we found interesting. It may have to do with recruiting or interviewing, and it may not. So I'm curious to hear everyone's picks for today. Jen, do you want to start it off? Sure. I recently just saw The Octopus Teacher on Netflix. I'm an avid diver, so I love anything just under the water. And it was, I thought it was very beautiful. So I'd recommend watching it. It's a documentary. And I'm uh, currently reading several of Robin Sharma's books, specifically The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari and The 5am Club. Nice. Which one do you recommend more? Um, I'm leaning towards The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari. I feel like it's a little more broad. I also, I mean, the title's amazing. I feel yeah. like I would just read it because of that title. My Go first pick are polymer clay earrings. I've been obsessed with these. There's so many small makers on social media platforms. So I, I don't know if anyone's not interested in earrings, but they've been so great. Do they make large for like big holes and everything too? You know, Ryan, I don't think that they do just yet, but I will market that for you. Jem, what do you have for us this episode? For picks today, I don't have that much interesting, but I have two that are pretty fun. One is a website by someone named Pippin Barr. It's called, it's as if you were doing work and it's pretty much an endless game. 
I, I don't know if you call it a game if there's no ending, but essentially you're, you play an office worker of some sort and you're just constantly trying to finish tasks. But the minute you get close to finishing a task, another one pops up and it's, it's built in such a way that you're always so close to like clearing all your tasks, but you never quite can. It, it, it's a little addicting just because you just, it's, it's like this, this endless loop. Are they it's actual tasks in your day-to-day or are they like pretend tasks? They're pretend tasks, but oh. <laughs> they, they almost seem like real work the way it's written. It, it's a lot of fun. I, I recommend everybody just, just checking it out. It, I'm terrible at describing uh, fun UI because I'm a terrible Wait, UI so engineer. Jim, are you saying you don't have enough work to do and that you are having to take on more work? That's what I'm saying, Ryan. Fortunately, you're not my manager anymore, so they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> my second pick is, um, you know, I really want to pick The Boys season two. Uh, it's a show on Amazon Prime. I really enjoyed season one. I thought it was like fresh and a more realistic take on what would happen if superheroes actually existed. Even though we have a million superhero movies, none of them are quite realistic as, you know, they don't involve anything like capitalism and real world scenarios. And the boys captured that really well in season one. Season two is just, I'm not going to spoil it. It hasn't been as strong. Uh, so my pick would have been the boys season two. We'll see how it ends. But so far, since they're doing an episode a week, which is really annoying too. I don't know. I guess my anti pick. I don't know. If you're listening and you work at Amazon Prime Video, come on. That, that's I, it. That's my, that's my whole thing. Come on. I agree. Season two is not as, I don't know. I'm waiting. I'm trying to just have, give, give it some time. I like yeah. that you both are just being optimistic about it. Like at least that you're, you're going to stick it out, try and see if it's good. So I guess it's not quite the anti-pick yet. You're not saying don't go watch it. Maybe it will be good. Maybe it won't. Given, given the, the history of 2020 so far, I, I think we are desperate to cling on any vestiges of hope or optimism that we can. So we're really, really holding on for the boys season two to, to come through and be like, yes, this is the show that we needed right now. But so far it has not delivered. All right. Well, I'm, I'm curious to hear how it turns out for you. I still have yet to watch season one. I just didn't get around to it yet. But now you're not really selling it as much. Like I don't have season two to look forward to yet. So maybe after there's two seasons, I'll be more excited if, if you say it's good. If it's not, then what's the point? No, season one is worth watching. Okay. It was actually better than I thought it would be. We randomly just started watching it and finished it in a whole weekend after it had come out. So it, it was very surprising it was a pleasant surprise. Anytime that someone's like, I binged a lot in one weekend, I'm, I'm like, that's a pretty good selling point. So I probably do need to go check it out. I've heard good things. I have two picks. One that it's a more expensive router, but I feel like it has made my life better in this whole remote world. I was struggling with, like we mentioned earlier, with like internet connections, video not being the greatest. And it was mainly because my wife and I are both constantly on video meetings. So it's like, you're both trying to do this all at once. And of course, like the internet of things, your house is covered in a bunch of things that are just pulling the internet. We're struggling. Like I feel like there's connection problems all the time. I ended up upgrading to the Amplify Alien Mesh Router. It's amazing. It's got the Wi-Fi 6 capabilities. Things are a lot faster. I'm getting faster speeds and I have not had a connection problem. And it's been a good week or two that I've had this. Uh, so definitely recommend it. It's a little on the pricey side, but it has made my life easier. So that's all worth it. And then I have a show that I found really light and easy to watch, which is absolutely something that you need in 2020 right now, which is the American Barbecue Showdown. It is 
basically a barbecue contest show. It's great. It's on Netflix, just came out. So highly recommend checking that one out. Really nice, easy thing to watch. Is it like trying to consume as much barbecue as possible? Or just is there, are there intricacies based on like how you're barbecuing? Because I don't know if I find that relaxing. (laughs) Like, I don't know if that's a relaxing thing for me to see people just stuffing themselves. Oh, no, it's good that you asked that clarifying question. It is actual like cooks that are barbecuing and they, they are faced with certain challenges that they have to cook with a certain protein and maybe use certain things that they're not used to. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of got, it's like twists and turns on it. It's just, it's a fairly easy watch. I liked it. I actually learned a few things. I've been doing a lot of smoking over the past like summer and I learned a few things through it. Before we end the episode, I want to thank both Bianca and Jen for joining us. Where can people get in touch with you? LinkedIn, Jen Pai is probably the best place. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Bianca Bordalusi, kind of hard to spell, or you can reach out to me directly. My email is bbordalusi at netflix.com. Great. Well, it was a pleasure having you both on. A lot of great insights, and we are continuing to learn how to really interview remotely. I'm excited for us to be back in person, but we're figuring it out. Jem, where can uh, people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter, at Jem Young. I'm on GitHub, at Young. I do not have an Instagram. <laughs> if you see Jem Young on Instagram, that is not me. Yeah, it's funny. I've seen a few Jem Youngs or Jem. There's a lot of Instagrams, but it's not Jem. I keep telling him he needs to just join the clan on uh, Instagram. Just get with the times. But yes, he is not on Instagram. I know, I'm uncool. You can find me at Burgess D. Ryan on Twitter. On my Instagram, I believe it is Ryan.Burgess. I post photos from time to time. Not a ton, but once in a while. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us at frontendhappyhour.com. Subscribe to us on really whatever you like to listen to our podcasts on. And you can follow us on Twitter at frontendhh. We are on Instagram as well at frontendhh. Any last words? Thanks for having us. That's fun. Do it again. More sweetie lattes.